two. Welcome back to another episode of NBA Finals Fiends, the NBA podcast most likely to spend more money in friendly bets over the years than it costs to go to one 2022 NBA Finals game. I'm in for it. Let's get right into it. Listen, folks, we've learned a lot in these past two games. As an analyst, I'm very reactionary. These refs, they're down to make this thing interesting. And someone please, from the Celtics organization, go ahead and have to take a shit-talking masterclass from P.J. Tucker so they can stand up to Draymond Green. Because they're going to go down another game if not. The drama is at an all-time high. And we're here, as always, to break it all down with you guys. Thank you so much for riding through the season with us and diving into the finals with us. This is as best as it gets. I want to go ahead and open up tonight with a question for the two of you guys. Are the Jazz worthy? No, <laughs> we're not talking about the Jazz tonight. I, I, some NBA podcasts are doing that right now. They're like, Quinn Snyder, what's going to happen? It's like, who cares? It's a yeah, we're not having oh, Zach with us guest tonight. Definitely we're okay. just tired of the Jazz. It's just nonsense. We've been saying it that they need to get move rid of on. Here. Like, let's just get over it. Everyone's I'll hit a Ken, head of Kendrick Perkins. Carry the hell on. Yeah, literally. It's just. But I do want to open with a question. After game one and two, if you guys want to envision yourselves as me, say I'm in the front office of both the Celtics and the Warriors somehow. Who has the, At the same time? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you guys have to understand as as, as a profession. As a professional, this is a very difficult series to watch. Just spare me. But seriously, which front – not even front office. Which team is more valid to hit the panic button after their loss in this series? Valid to hit the panic button. Yeah, feeling like, oh, shit, we really need to make a lot of adjustments. Which game really felt like a harder loss? Um, is this like a leading question for it to be the Celtics because they lost the most recently? However you feel. I mean, I know how I feel about one open. Well, the way the way I stand on that is just I think uh, I've been preaching it since the beginning of the series, since the following of game one after I was crying in my bed for four hours trying to really? comprehend what just happened. Um, the, the, fourth well, quarter, your answer. the fourth quarter of game one literally made no sense. It was so incomprehensible. Al Horford and... Derek White did things that I didn't think humanly possible, and it showed in game two that, yes, they are not able to do that ever again, and it just seemed like it was such a fluke to me, and I just think that there was nothing really the Warriors could have done about that, um, and in game two, it seemed like it was a little more, I mean, even game two was kind of nonsense, too, like the Warriors aren't a 30-point better team, like Jordan Poole hit some crazy shots or whatever, you can make the same argument almost. But I would say the Celtics might just have to be like, all right, like, how the hell are we going to deal with this Draymond Green stuff? That's my biggest right. thing, probably. Yeah, no. Um, I don't – I think up to Steve's point, pretty much like we were saying about the Celtics Heat series is I really have no clue how this is going to go. And um, I think probably Wednesday will give us maybe a little bit more of a better picture as to how this is actually going to be broken down. But right now, to Steve's point, the Warriors came out hot in the first half of game one and then really lost by – ended up losing by 10 off just an incredible fourth quarter from the Celtics where Al Horford and Derek White were just hitting absurd shots. 
And then you fast forward to game two where the Celtics ended up losing by 30 and no one besides Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum scored even remotely enough points to make it at all worth it. I think three players scored two points. Um, so I, I don't really know what to think. I think that it's, there's a lot of inconsistency on the Celtics front, no doubt, but Hey man, it's only two games. So I'm just happy that the series is split one, one heading into Boston. They got one on the road. All that matters. I mean, I'll go ahead and give like, you know, an answer that's worthy of a soundbite for all the listeners out there. And there's a little bit more of an NBA podcast type of answer to start that answer being it's the golden state warriors. Um, <laughs> with game one with the losing that kind of lead is really alarming. And I think if you were to hit a simulated button, as if this were a video game, just to see like which random guys get hot over the course of a seven game series. I do really think that the Celtics have more guys that that's likely to happen. But my genuine answer on this podcast tonight, I, I think it's actually just kind of a toss-up. I think it's a bit of a wash to start. These have been two kind of lopsided wins and losses. I think we just are going into game three tomorrow night with a fresh series. Yeah. Well, so one thing I wanted to touch on, too, is I feel like a lot of the popular takes across the NBA landscape after game one was, okay, Boston had this incredible fourth-quarter comeback. They won by 12 in a game where Steph Curry had an amazing first quarter and Jason Tatum played awfully. He shot three of 17. Like he wasn't even a factor. Like you have to factor him into these other games. But I took away from that something completely different. And I mean, I watched a majority of it. I missed uh, a lot of the second quarter for personal reasons uh, that we don't need to dive into on this podcast. But uh, Jason Tatum had 13 assists in game one. That is not something that Jason Tatum ever does. I'd say Jason Tatum mostly, like, on a good day, gets about five or six assists, right? Yeah, that, that's about as average. So, if you take seven assists away, that accounts for, let's say, 14 points, even though it could be more. You add that to his point total, that's, like, his 26, 28 points per game. That's where I thought a lot of people were wrong. It's like, yeah, Jason Tatum didn't shoot well, but I thought he played a pretty damn good game. I didn't think he shot, like, obviously he didn't shoot well, but he rebounded. He played defense at 13 assists. I thought yeah. that those numbers were going to like look equal when it came to game two. And obviously he shot the lights out in game two, but he only had two assists. So it kind of balanced out. And then that's something I didn't think many people were talking about. Or you have Bill Simmons saying Jason Tatum's like the greatest passer of all time nowadays, but like he doesn't, he gets like four or five assists a game. He's not going to be averaging 10 assists ever. No. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those assists were coming off of just like guys just going wild in the fourth quarter from three. Exactly, and that's where I thought things were going to balance out a little bit. But it does just go to show, though, that how much of a help Jason Tatum can be when the entire nucleus of that Warriors defense is all about him. Like, they all came out of the game. They're like, we're not going to let Jason Tatum score. And I feel like a lot of superstar players, when that happens to them, can get really bottlenecked and try to force up shots that aren't there. And don't really feel like they can trust their teammates. Tatum obviously feels like he can, and he's more than happy to dish off uh, buckets to Derek White or Al Horford and uh, not have to worry about getting it all on himself. No, which... yeah, totally. Yeah, I think it says a lot about Tatum as a player, and, I, and that's why I'm kind of saying, like, I don't think he played bad necessarily. I, I think he was getting no. a lot of too much shit from people saying he had an awful game. Like, imagine he plays better. Like, yeah, he didn't shoot well, but, like, he really helped his team and found ways to contribute and help the team win. And, like, I just – 
I think he's going to do that same type of thing in game two, where it just happened to be they needed his scoring, not his passing as much. Whereas, and then they lost by 30 because his other teammates weren't making shots because they just aren't as reliable as him and Jalen are. See, I think that if the Celtics are, are going to win this series, though, they're going to need a Jason Tatum game where he has like 45, 50 points. I do too. Where he, yeah, he just becomes, for sure. He's just like unstoppable, just catatonic at making any bucket that he can because that's what we've come to expect from him in these playoffs. We've even seen it already against Milwaukee. Um, so, well, no, I, well, I totally agree. He can definitely help and make anyone around his team better. If they're going to win this series, he's going to have to prove that he is one of the five best players in the NBA. For sure. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely been a, a good series, though. I do want to give a special shout-out to Jalen Brown, who's been the most consistent Celtic so far That's this series. He's been the guy who's been putting up uh, – he's average, averaging 21, 7, and 4. Not a not bad, Jalen. Good. That's job. pretty great for a two, right, Steve? Definitely better than Clay Thompson. That's for sure. But yeah. To be fair, I'm factoring in like a 50 point game six for Clay. So once he gets that, he's gonna right, be averaging more points than Jalen. So you're you know, right. it's, uh, it's it's about even right now, though. Yeah, exactly. You're got you guys are. I'm factoring in the future here. Uh, whereas, yeah, it hasn't started well, but uh, I have full faith in my guy. Let's put that on wax. Did you guys make that friendly bet for Jalen Brown Clay Thompson points? Yeah, we did. Yes. Not as friendly as you, your guys' game two bet, but ours was really friendly. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe was feeling frisky. And listen, I'm the gambler. I wasn't turning it down. That's for well, sure. Well, I don't know. After game one, that kind of comeback, I was just like, the Warriors are completely helpless. There's no <laughs> way they're going to be able to. I, I don't know. Like, God, I, do you guys ever feel that way about the Warriors? No, I, I, not <laughs> I think at all. It's, it's been just you, man. <laughs> I I weirdly had the take that I felt a little bit better after game one. I I swear by it, dude. I really do. I just Can cannot. you put that into like a quick sentence, really, really nicely for our listeners. Yeah, I just I mean, obviously, like I was distraught and very upset that they lost game one, and I was a little concerned in the back of my head, but the the real the reality to me was I was just thinking through it. I'm like, okay, like Steph Curry, like he looks completely into it. Draymond played awful, Clay played awful, like and they still were pretty much up twelve and had things in control at the end of the third quarter. And then something that I think will never ever happen again in the face of reality happened where Al Horford and Derek White were raining threes and I just don't think it's replicable. And I gave you my Jason Tatum point. Like everyone was using that logic. Like Jason Tatum's going to play better. Like, you should be worried. But I was like, ah, eh, I don't know if he's going to play much better. Like, he's accounting for 30 points this game. Like, that's still a lot of points to account for for Jason Tatum. And I just felt the Warriors were locked in as I'd ever seen him. Draymond, I listened to his pod after. He was like, listen, I have to play so much better. This game's on me. And I knew he'd come back with a force in game two, and he did. And I just – That pod like, seems awesome. Yeah, and I just felt like they were in a decent spot. And, like, I wasn't – fully expecting them to win uh, both games. I was telling you about this, Riley. I just thought they'd win game one and possibly lose game two. It was the reverse. Um, but now they just got to go into Boston, take care of business, win one of those games, and they're back where they needed to be. They're fine. Yeah, and see, in the Celtic, in, conversely, if, if you're a Celtics fan like myself, 
they won the one game on the road, and now yeah. there's three more games in the Garden that they can win and just to close it out. So Which, they should. But in, in an environment where you have admitted they haven't been as good as they have been on the road, unfortunately, though. No, but it's funny because the Warriors. This is the first time the Warriors have lost at home in the postseason was it, to Boston. Very this true. Game, so, so it's it really is kind of all up in the air. So it's kind of a crazy time that we decided to record after Game Two and not Game Three. When, but hopefully we'll see. Uh, I we'll definitely don't think Celtics are going to win in five like I thought they would. Or they might have been able to. Well, one of one of my biggest fears, and kind of going back to your original question, why I feel a lot better after these two games that I did at the start, John, uh, is I was weirdly worried about Steph. I was worried that this just wasn't a good matchup for him. Tim. Uh, I thought Marcus Smart might have been able to lock him down. I thought that, like, he hasn't really had any big postseason games yet. Like, he ha- he's had his, like, 20, 25 points, like his – five or six threes, but, like, his first quarter in game one, like, I just – I see that desire in Steph. He wants his finals MVP. He wants to prove it. Like, I was worried that just desire wouldn't be there, and it's there. That killer instinct's there. And I think Clay Thompson will bounce back. I really believe in him. I have to die on that hill at this point. So, uh, it just – I feel really good about the spot they're in. Yeah, and, and I think um, just we should touch on Steph Curry a little bit. Um, and how he is, he's been obviously the, the Warriors' best player so far, and also probably the most consistent player of the entire series in terms of the numbers he's putting up. He's got like 32, 6, and 5, which is unreal. Great job by Steph. His rebound has um, been otherworldly. Yeah. Well, okay, not, maybe not otherworldly, but really, I don't know. It always surprises me how well he can rebound. He's shooting, he's currently shooting 46% from three. So he's just catatonic, absolutely unreal. Um, I mean, obviously, his game one performance in a loss was just an absolute masterpiece in that first first half. Um, he's uh, he's definitely been really good. It's uh, he hasn't really shrunk today at the moments. He's playing really well. He's making a mockery out of Marcus Smart. That's like definitely one thing if you're a Celtic fan you should be worried about is Marcus Smart hasn't really been able to produce a lot defensively. Um, which is kind of a bummer, but watching Steph play is electric, even though I hate it every time he makes a shot. I definitely just thought, see, they put on such a great game, game one, that the fact that they let that get away from them was going to be indicative of how they play the rest of the series. But they did kind of bounce back, and every time the Celtics would start to come back and show some signs of life, they really locked it down in game two. So I am re-racking my own predictions and expectations out of this Warriors team and I, even though they were kind of garbage time minutes like not I'm sorry that's not the right way to put it but even though the pressure was kind of lower like seeing pool be able to really come alive and some of the younger guys that was big for game two so I think in terms of ro- roster depth I think these teams are pretty even oh I completely disagree I think the Warriors have the uh, way bigger advantage in depth um, I do too and I, I wanted to kind of make a point about that, John, too, is uh, Jordan Poole. I think it was huge that he had that. Uh, he, it, it kind of was – you're right, it wasn't garbage time. But they were up by, like, 15 already. He had that incredible deep three and then hit the buzzer beater from, like, the half-court logo, like, back-to-back. And I just think that's big for his confidence. He was kind of a guy who hasn't really been doing very well the last two series or so. And just kind of getting him going, getting him loose, kind of getting him into the groove of things, getting him to believe in himself – I think is huge for the Warriors coming off the bench. And then on the other side, in terms of depth, 
Robert Williams looks cooked. He tries. Yeah. He's really, really tired. trying out there. But we said it coming into the series. If he's not going to be a factor, it's going to be a problem. And now we're seeing Tice getting minutes, and he's getting washed every time he's out there. Peyton Pritchard can't defend the, the barn, the side of a barn. Uh, Steph Curry at the end of the first quarter of game two literally just like did nonsense behind the back dribbles just for fun and then dribbled past him and hit a, a buzzer beating layup. And I just don't think the Celtics have enough guys, especially like I don't believe in Derek White as much as a lot of people do, but they really have maybe like five or six guys that are rotation caliber guys in this series right now. Yeah, I, I would say they have six. Uh, I don't really know if you'd probably put Tyson there, but I, obviously Jalen, Jason, Horford, Smart, Derek White, and Grant. And uh, I guess Pritchard to some, ex- some extent. And even um, Grant, Grant's just like not a great fit for the series either. No, no, it's uh, which it, it's funny to see him match up against Draymond uh, just because the two of them are so, they're so much similar and attitude but i think they play entirely differently they do we should, do you expect uh, anyone from the celtics roster to surprise you this series rather like based off the first game first couple games to surprise me yeah um, anyone deeper no i mean not really because again there's no one like i don't think aaron neesmith is coming in to save anyone anyone from playing like 20 20 minutes a game this is kind of what they have and this is what they're going to be rolling with. And again, they've been rolling with the same eight guys for the entire playoffs. So uh, I am yeah. looking at like, you know, like the Warriors 11 and it is really good. Well, yeah. <laughs> I, something we haven't talked about at all too is the return and impact of Gary Payton in game two. Something Riley was questioning a little bit. He's like, why are they giving him a standing ovation in his return? I wouldn't do that. I was like, I don't know, Riley. Look at is that, that how he sounds? <laughs> That's exactly how Riley sounds. His little I don't think so. I don't think so. But it is what you said. I don't know how you said no, it. No, that is what you said. You said I, was, I was trying to just get the point across that, like, yeah, he, like, might not have the stats, but he just, like, does things that no one else on the team besides Draymond does. Like, he plays lockdown defense on the perimeter. He rim runs. He's, like, really athletic and can dunk. Like, he can hit the three. And he's just, like, a way better version of Iguodala at this point in Iguodala's career, as much as I love him. Uh, so it was – just the impact of having him on the court alone over Iguodala, I think, was massive. Yeah, way better. He's way better than Iguodala for sure. He's just like a guard version of Draymond, if that makes sense. Like, oh, yeah, he exactly. can just like get up in there. They actually have a good connection, those two, and he's able to kind of slash and cut to the rim. And it's 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 actually they've gotten really fortunate the fact that Porter, Iguodala, and Peyton are all like ready to play the series. Yeah, and they actually they were throwing Peyton on Tatum at certain points and like giving him a different look than when having like Wiggins and Draymond on him, and it's like a completely different pest, right? You're going from these tall, lanky, like athletic guys to a shorter, like just pest who's like trying to steal the ball from you, and it just it's just something to give him something different to think about, and it definitely definitely worked a little bit. And he had minutes on uh, Jalen this game too, where you saw Jalen started game two like incredibly hot, hit a few threes, and then he ended with like. I think five of 17 or something like that. I don't know if it was that bad, but it wasn't that good. And I think a lot of the effect was from Gary Payton and just the crowd loves him and he gets the crowd going just like Poole does, just like Curry does. So I think having him back is just a massive game changer. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, More depth, the more they can, the more defensive players they can throw at 
Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum just to give Wiggins and Clay and Draymond some rest on the bench is needed. And Gary Payne obviously provides that in spades. Um, I do think we should address the elephant in the room here about Clay Thompson and what is going on there because um, we can sugarcoat as much as we want. It's been really bad and really ugly. He wasn't that bad in game one. Yeah, he was, he was pretty horrible. No, he yeah, he was, oh, stop. he was. He was not good. He was not good. What, he finished what, the game in game one with exactly 15 points, but I think he's getting, he can't close out the perimeter the same way he used to. And defensively, he's looked like he lost a step. He used to be able to guard any other player, you know? Yeah, he's not as good as he used to be, but I'm, I'm completely, completely confident in him. You're confident in him? Did you, you saw what he was doing on, in game two. Yeah, bad game. That happened. He was, he was running around against Luke Cornett and Nick Stauskas. And still <laughs> that was funny. Buckets. That's how you know there's an issue, though, actually, because Steve Kerr's like, all right, dude, like, you got to get going. Like, play against these guys. And he still couldn't hit a shot. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. It was... No, yeah. I mean, obviously, like, there's a part of me that's just defending him just because I, I have to at this point. But, I mean, he hasn't looked good. And the fact that they're still tied 1-1, they haven't really needed him to show up. Like, yeah, he hasn't looked good, but I'm also fully confident, actually, that, like, he will show up in maybe one or maybe two games. Like, he will show up and hit, like, a, a six or seven three-pointer game at some point. Like, you can't discount that at all. No, I won't. I don't see a game six clay. I really don't. Or any big, huge game. I Oh, game six clay. Is co- I'm fully confident in game six clay if it gets to that. But the Warriors might win in five, so we might not even get there. No, not happening. <laughs> not happening. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's really, it's been a fun series though. It's been exactly what we wanted. Game one was a little more back and forth and more competitive than game two was, but this is exactly what I expected out of the series. Not didn't expect anything different. Very happy. Hey, uh, Riley, I kind of want to get your take on something. I don't know if you have a take on it because I don't, but I feel like something needs to be said if we're shitting on some players. Because uh, as good as Al Horford was in game two or in game one, what happened in game two? I don't know if I have it. So, so bad. Yeah. Like, no. He just didn't do anything, like at all. Yeah. It was uh, it was pretty gross. Yeah. He had two points. He was one for four. He had four buckets, four attempts, rather. It was, uh, it was pretty embarrassing. He was kind of getting swallowed up low key by like, uh, by like Looney. Looney was kind of all over him. Um, I don't really know what to expect there. I think he'll be fine just an off game, but yeah. Yeah, him and Smart were both bad, and it was like I didn't even notice they were that bad. Really watching, I yeah. guess. I guess because Tatum and Brown were doing so good at the start that like it made up for it a little bit. But I mean, I didn't really notice anything that they they weren't just they weren't taking shots, let alone missing shots. So I don't know if it says anything about the Warriors' defense. I don't know if it says anything about their confidence. I don't know what that is. I don't know if you have a take about it, John, but it was just weird. I don't know. I, I, it didn't make me feel any different about it. You just think they're fine. Yeah, I wouldn't worry about it. But you got you're you're worried about Clay, but you're not worried about old man Al Horford. No, I, I'm not worried about Al at all. All right. Because I don't. Because he, that's kind of how he's been the whole series. Has been my train of thought. I was thinking about that after. Yeah, the way he kind of exploded in Game One, I didn't think he was going to sustain that the whole time. Even did you rally? I feel like that. How he's been the whole series. He had like two games of the box that were like amazing. But other than that, he's just been like 
overperforming in general. So I don't know. I yeah, feel like this, I would agree with that, John. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's definitely been overperforming. I think he'll be all right. I think we can expect maybe one more big game out of him this finals. I think the Celtics and the Celtics fans can't rely on him to be like a primary score of the whole thing. But I, I think him and Clay honestly are a wash. Maybe you'll get one pretty good game out of both of them, but don't expect either of them to save your series. I really wouldn't. I don't see a lot in Clay Thompson in this finals. Is he? He's not going to be changed forever as a player, but he's just been thrown in as, into really high pressure situations since he returned in, I believe, April. Yeah. Well, and that's the th- well, the one saving grace for him again, I think, uh, is the fact that Jordan Poole hasn't really been as consistent as he would have liked. So, and that's really the main guy who you think would, if it came down to like the crunch time minutes, that Claire would be on the bench and Jordan Poole would be slotted in at the end of the games. But he's been fairly inconsistent. He was, he was horrible in game one. And again, at this point, he was okay in game two, though. He wasn't really in any like high pressure situations. It was mostly just pretty uh, low key possessions that he had there. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really worry about him like taking over and like slotting into any crunch time and the game lineups. But uh, well, yeah, yeah, I think ba- based off of that response, I think I know your answer would be this question. But if you guys are Steve Kerr, do you like pull Thompson from a starting spot for us the series? Uh, no, and I think nah. I think it's kind of ridiculous that some people are even bringing that up because yeah, he might have lost a little bit of a step. Yeah, he's been kind of cold from three. But you know what? You have to like respect it. You like you notice like the Celtics are still like up on him. They're not giving him any open looks because they can't do that. But no. if, you, if you smother him, that's when he's going to struggle now because he can't create space. He can't really create his own shot as much as he used to be able to. But you just have to respect him when he's on the court, and that alone, having to respect him and Curry, is what makes the Warriors the Warriors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and if if you won't need any more proof of that, just wait until tomorrow when you'll see how. The Celtics will defend Clay Thompson on the perimeter, or Sal will defend Draymond Green on the perimeter. Exactly. Well, they will just like give him like 20, 20 feet, <laughs> yeah. just completely free range to do whatever they want. If you shoot the bucket, it's a it's a win for us. Exactly, and like that's why again, I one of these games he's dropping thirty. It's gonna come, and I'll just be really really excited for him when it does happen. And then he'll probably score like ten in the other games. But you know what? That one game where he drops 30, they'll probably he'll probably carry him to a win and it'll be huge. In so many ways, I wish the Celtics were playing like the Suns or Suns or the, or the Mavericks or someone else. It's just it really is hard to be like, I really want Clay Thompson to be mediocre. This sucks. Like, I do really like both these teams. Yeah, no, I mean I love the Warriors too as a team, but obviously we're against them. Oh yeah. Uh, um, oh, yeah. yeah and <laughs> I, I think I think Draymond in the series has been pretty interesting. He was pretty uh, inconsistent in Game One, but uh, he, he really, back he really set the tone two. in Game Two. I mean, he he's, he's the dead. definitive like player in our lifetime, maybe in NBA history, where you just can't quantify what he does with stats. Well, no. S- Steve and I had this exact conversation on Sunday when we were uh, leaving your place from the game shot. Is he is like if he is the third best player on your team. They are one of the best teams of all time. But when he is the number one option, like he was that one year for the Warriors, they were the worst team in the league by far. <laughs> right, yeah. 
so it's, it's just funny how how great that fluctuation can be with the player like Trey yeah. and I love it. Well, I have a sample size of it too. He and is like, like the guy you can't quantify just by scoring. It's like, all about what's, what's putting people be in better situations. What's gonna be weird about him, like uh, looking back on him, like when we're older too? It's like honestly, yeah, like him as a third option, like is probably the only way he's really gonna be good. But him as a third option on this specific team is probably one of the really only ways he's gonna be good. Because he he doesn't have to score at all, like ever. If he was in a position where he had to score, like he'd be no good, like ever. So like him getting drafted this Golden State team, getting put in this position is probably setting up for him to be a Hall of Famer and have a career in the future calling games on TNT. But like if he was drafted to any other team, he'd probably like be a role player akin to like Steve Novak, who we barely even like we remember fondly, but isn't really an actual Hall of Fame great. Dude, oh, just yeah. ima- imagine though if uh, he was on like the Mavericks, who are just such like a three-point happy sh- like shooting team, and they just had Luca running, running the point with Draymond to help like facilitate and make plays. How great! Um, how much fun that would be! Yeah, like that um, would work for him. There's certain, obviously, certain scenarios that would, but like, I feel like you put him on like Portland uh, back when it was New- Van Dame, that would work. New York. Yeah, but yo, know, if you put him on New York right now, it'd be a travesty. It would, It'll be right. him, him and Julius Randle will be like, all right, so uh, who's shooting the three? I guess I got it. And then they'll brick it off the side of the backboard. Yeah. The no advanced who- stats with him and Steph are really crazy. Like, I think she looked it up. Like, Steph's just a lot better and, like, plays like himself with him out there. Well, it's, yeah, it's the, akin to the chemistry they've built over, like, ten years now. Like, the, the bond, they know exactly what each other are doing on the court. Uh, and that's why Clay's so huge, too, is, like, yeah, he might not have it, but, like, they know exactly what he's going to do. They know where he's going to be. Whereas Jordan Poole is relatively new and like still getting into the groove of things with this group. They know exactly what Clay's going to be doing, and he's so important to have out there, even if he's missing shots. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I think we pretty much covered the first two games. Uh, we'll probably record maybe Sunday after uh, games. Yeah, after game after well after game five, that'll be right. Sunday's well, game five. No, I'm pretty sure game five is on Monday. Is Next Monday, yeah. All right, um, we'll, we'll try and record after game five. Then. Yeah. Um. So, John and Steve, how do you guys think game three is going to go? And then, how do you think the rest of the series is going to shape out? I still think it's going to be Golden State in six. I'll stand by my game six. Clay closes it out in Boston. Uh, game. I don't know which individual game. I think they're going to split uh, both these upcoming games in game in Boston. I think. Maybe Boston takes game three, uh, but Golden State will come back in game four, and then they'll have it. I think we had a classic Tatum game next game. Tate to lead, but I do think they will split at home, going two for two, and then they'll go ahead, take that one on the road, and then they'll take one of their last games that are uh, that they have to finish up the series. They'll get, uh, they'll get game six back in Boston, Celtics in six, and same with it. Word, word. That yeah, no, I'm I'm still riding the season seven train. Nothing I've seen from either team has convinced me otherwise. I think it's a competitive, tough, tough series. I agree. I think the garden's gonna be loud for these next two games. One of them is gonna be the big Tatum game where he just goes off in front of the crowd and then they'll but they'll still probably end up splitting. Um Yeah. But yeah, we will see. 
see how this this one ends up. Very happy. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy we're getting good basketball, fellas. Both these, I mean, I guess. Yeah, the, the scores haven't showed it, but they've been good games. Yeah, game two was a 30 point blowout, but like it was close for like the majority of it at least. And like game one was obviously close the whole time until the Celtics pulled away in the end. And they had just, they haven't felt like some of the blowouts this postseason. They felt like competitive games. It feels like this is going to be a competitive series. You really can't, like, you can't really, like, foresee exactly what's going to happen. It's They could go either way with these games, which is nice. Um, I'm just really happy that we're getting something to watch here. Absolutely. I'm really excited going forward. What do you, um, what do you think, like, the general, like, pulses for this game? Do you guys think, like, like what's the, what's the media's take? Do you guys think that, like, the, the masses are picking to win this one? I've seen a bunch of split stuff. I've seen a bunch of people on the Warriors, but also uh, a decent amount of people on the Celtics who think uh, Jason Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown are going to be enough. I've seen a very vast majority of both sides. Uh, but, I mean, that's what makes this really interesting, right? I feel like a lot of the final yeah. cast, it's been like, oh, like I feel like the, the Warriors got it. Oh, I feel like, uh, I don't know, I feel like the Bucks are going to figure, figure out, eh, last year was kind of split too, I think. But you know what I mean? It's it's nice and refreshing to really not have no clue who's going to be able to win it. Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been great. I, I I feel like I see the same thing. People I love are that. kind of up in the end in all series. I agree. That's a great way to end the series with um. I'm sorry, not end the series. End the podcast with Steve just having no confidence in his Warriors. He has no no clue where this series is going to go. I think it's really all three hosts picking <laughs> the Celtics to win. You guys can find us on Twitter, Instagram. Thank you for listening. You know I control what this is, right? <laughs> you can't just cut me off like that. <laughs> nice try, Ethan. Warriors and six. See you guys soon.